I'm Matt. I'm Annie. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we are discussing Season 4, Episode 6, Waldo Stories, written by Brett Johnson and Matthew Weiner and directed by Scott Hornbacker. The original air date of this episode was August 29th, 2010. The hit movies that week, back in the yesteryear of 2010, were at number one, Takers. I have no idea, you guys. Uh, Number two, The Last Exorcism, which was also new that week. And at number three, The Expendables. Oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) Hit song. The hit song of that week is Love the Way You Lie. Big shock. Uh, (laughs) Can you guess who the artists are? (laughs) Um, Is it Um, Eminem featuring Rihanna? Yeah. No shit. You must have cheated. Um, I need to tell you guys that there is a third sequel to The Expendables coming out this year, the year of our Lord, 2022. That would be Expendables 4, and it is starring oh, gosh. Megan Fox. So. What? <laughs> my, my brain is short-circuited. So that's happening. Will I watch three Expendables movies to prepare? Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. How long has it been since the last Expendables movie even, I wonder? I don't think I saw the first one. Um, The Expendables 3 came out in 2014. And that's on Google. What? What? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't understand why they waited eight years. That just it. feels like it was like diminishing returns at the box office. And then they put it on the shelf for a while. And then some studio executive was going for a list of what intellectual property that the studio owns. And they like found that one. They're like, eh, let's try it. Well, yeah. And they're like, oh, movies can go straight here. to streaming now in a way that is semi profitable. It seems like at least over the last two years. And like. Yeah. Now they have something with Megan Fox in it. So someone's figured out this is how you get my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently it wasn't that hard. <laughs> and yeah, Takers, I don't have any recollection of at all. Like Last Exorcism, I remember like the marketing um, for and stuff, but Takers, I do not remember. Can I read you the cast really list don't. for Takers? Please do. Yes, please. Idris Elba, Matt Dillon, okay. Hayden Christensen, Paul Walker, Michael Ely, Chris Brown, which, and T.I., which also, but like, other than those two shitty dudes, like, that is quite a cast. How? Did I forget this? I don't. I suspect I know why. One of the audience <laughs> reviews is. One of the worst and most boring movies I've ever watched in my entire life. Oh, gosh. So that's unfortunate, but like, this is a hot cast. Good news, at least speaking for our Canadian listeners in the audience, it is streaming on Netflix in Canada. So maybe it's on Netflix (laughs) in, in the United States. Oh, it's on Prime. Oh, And it's also on the Roku channel. So you can see this. Oh, jeez. You say that like we should. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This week on Mad Men, it's the Oscars of advertising. The Cleos have arrived, and it leads to a lost weekend for Don, a working weekend for Peggy, 
and Peter feels the need to set the tone for one of the agency's new hires. What an episode. This is an episode. It was an episode. It was and an I've episode of it. television that I have watched. <laughs> basically. I've actually seen it two times. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't say that like, hmm, how am I going to... This isn't like my favorite episode of Mad Men. Like I, it's it didn't blow my mind in some of the ways that like really good Mad Men episodes do, but the things that do happen in this episode, I'm very interested in and into. Yeah, it's like as an episode, not as engaging. I don't think I really noted too much, but a lot happens. Um, that is interesting. Or at least the repercussions that will happen. And it's like episode six. Like this is, this definitely feels like table setting, not in a bad way, but yeah. like table setting for these characters for like the rest of the season. And I think that that is what's exciting. Um, Cause I said, we've all said like, oh, maybe this, <laughs> maybe this is the bottom for Don and <laughs> we've yet to find it. It is, it's amazing. Like maybe it? this is the bottom for John. Yeah, I it's it's interesting because like between like watching this episode again and then recording this, I rewatched um Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell, um, starring mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss, speaking of, mm-hmm. of of Peggy. And I think I've talked about before about this season, like kind of having like her smell and hi Ellie, that's my dog rolling around having fun in the background. Um, welcome to the welcome to Still Great Bob Ellie. Um, but having kind of her smell illusions and it's like it when Elizabeth Moss's character hits rock bottom in that movie and Dawn in this movie, I like it feels tonally like very similar. So mm, maybe mm-hmm. maybe this is it. Maybe mm. this is it. Yeah, like I think what I like the most about this episode is that we don't actually realize how bad it is for Don until towards the end. And then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Well, and there's okay, a- this is this was even worse than I thought it was. But like he really like this comes this is going to come up a lot of times during this discussion. But he's really like behaving a lot like Roger and not in a good way, although I don't know what a good way would be. But just to start um like sit joan sitting between don and roger and holding both of their hands at the cleos i'm like this is (laughs) joan you have done so much for these people and like don and roger have no idea that they're both idiots (laughs) and like kissing joan on the lips when they win which i like i feel very strongly that that's inappropriate i understand that between these characters at this time maybe it wouldn't have been so inappropriate but it's that's not something we that's not behavior we see don engage in that's like very much more rogery right yes agreed uh and it's kind of it's not yeah that's not the first or last parallel drawn between the two of them either in the show Mm -hmm. no but like Don just like proceeds to this episode like having mishaps because he's hammered. Well, and like I think there's that like one match cut 
where it's the night of the Cleos. He's obviously been boozed up. They go back. He like play the life cereal pitch that they prepared. Doesn't resonate with the also drunk cereal or general mills cereal executives. So then Don just starts gets, you know, he's in his own ego and starts spitballing and ends up basically ripping one of Danny Strong's, excuse me, Danny Siegel's, as played by Danny Strong's taglines um, that he had been making fun of fun of before and then goes to the bar, gets lubricated, picks up that woman, and then there's the the match cut where you think it's the next morning, but he's completely lost the Saturday and it's another woman mm-hmm. that we have never seen before and we're as the audience mm-hmm. as disoriented as as Don is in that moment. And I it's just really effective filmmaking for me. It's so good. And that second woman calls him Dick. Mm-hmm. I was shook. <laughs> I was like, like Sarah, wait, what? this is what? bad. I'm like, what? What happened? And it's not just that he is giving people his altar. He's losing whole entire days, but he like lost to drunkenness, actual professional work that he did. But he also did this thing with Peggy where he makes her be locked in a hotel room with Stan working for the weekend. And it's like she does not even like him. And then he doesn't even remember. Like it is so Mm -hmm. bad. Also, I was thinking about maybe not saying this, but I think I'm going to have to, which is that we see Don, the first woman that he's in bed with is this woman that comes up to Joan and Roger at the party and like asks about him. And so like we we can kind of assume what's going on there. And then it's like so expected when we see them in the bed together and then she like moves to like, I assume, go down on him and then he falls asleep. And I'm like, is the episode telling me that he fell asleep during this? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Because that feels like a move that the person in this situation who's been drinking like this and behaving like this, like (laughs) that's definitely (laughs) that's definitely an option of how this could have gone down. And instead of waking up and being like, oh, that was a bad look for me. I think that I will just stay hammered. And go around Maybe telling people diner. my name's Dick Whitman. Well, bring home the waitress. Well, yeah, and like she, like the the server that he ends up picking up when he's like takes his, the other woman to breakfast, where he's like, "Oh, you're with your sister," and mobile or or something like that. So like already, it's just it's just yeah. super messed up. Oh, I don't even know if I put that together. Man, I forgot Don. about that. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, I think it's safe to say Don's still not doing super great, <laughs> even though he should be. Cause, and a lot of it's compared with this, like, complete highlight, this professional highlight going on uh, in his life, even though someone, like, somewhere mentions that everyone wins something. And it, it just, like, it goes to its head, to his head. Mm-hmm. Or it's his ability, it gives him this ability to live in this light a little bit, that he's this hero. So what are we, are, is the show trying to say that Don is, is becoming a has-been like Roger? Ooh, maybe. Or is, is the show setting us up for this like comeback story where Don doesn't change at all and yet figures out how to just drink just enough to not have this happen? Uh, maybe. 
Because he's so off his game. Not only does he plagiarize someone else's thing, he plagiarizes a really terrible mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just he's slipping. Everything is slipping. His alter ego is slipping. He told the waitress his name was Dick. Mm-hmm. I think, too, what was really, like, interesting for me in terms of, like, because we get some Don or Dick Whitman or, I guess, little mini Don Draper um, pre-Mad Men advertising days um, flashbacks in, in his relationship with Roger. And I think that was one of the themes that kind of stuck out for me through the course of the episode where um, Danny Strong ends up getting the job because he says that all he has is his name, Siegel as Jane's cousin, and then his work. And then the parallels with Don when he's just starting out. And he sees that... um, He sees himself in Danny, even though obviously, like, Danny isn't necessarily um, at the same creative level as Don fancies himself at most times. Um, But he sees that like, Oh, I just have my name and my work. And like, of course that's going to resonate with Don. So of course, instead of just, you know, doing the, what I think Peggy expected in terms of paying Danny as a, as a freelancer to use the line and protecting the agency. So he can't um, litigate against them. He ends up giving him a job. And it just really reminds me of under patriarchy, how mm, cis men, largely white cis men, particularly um, people like me, um, can continue to to fail up or get all these other chances because the folks in power look like me. And, you know, it's a lot easier to see yourself in someone who looks like you. So it's like, oh, Matt's a good guy. I'm going to hire Matt because he reminds me of a young me. And, like, I mean, that's kind of how Colin Trevorrow as a director kind of ended up getting his first chances <laughs> and breaking in because it was like Spielberg at all. We're like, Oh, you remind me of like a me. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, not great. <laughs> I did have the same thing written down. Like, Oh, look at this confident mediocre white man failing up. And part of it isn't part of it is the whole like, Oh yeah. kind of reminds me of me because from according to Roger in the flashback, Don's work wasn't even that great. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the fact that he has the op- he also was kind of in the right place at the right time. And he was allowed to just be the fact that he was just allowed in the room at all allowed him that opportunity mm-hmm. to be stolen from. And he they're using him to cover up the mistake of another drunk white man who uh, who's not doing his job as well as he should have been. And the person who is doing their job as well as, you know, probably better than than Don even firing on all cylinders is the one who gets locked in the room with a pest, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, Yep. Nothing like being locked in an extremely uncomfortable, vaguely, potentially unsafe situation with that guy. Um, before we move on from Don, I do want to put on record that my conspiracy theory is that Don tricked Roger into believing that he hired him because he was too drunk to remember. <laughs> and so therefore, I, Don and Roger just want to be different variations of each other. But the problem is they don't realize that they both suck. <laughs> 
I don't think that's that much of a conspiracy theory. Just from the way that it's uh, shown to us, I think it's fairly positive. Don has the shittiest shit-eating grin on his face when he gets in that elevator. I'm like, you did something. Yeah, it was that one <laughs> moment. I was like, no, that's not what happened. And then the look he gives, you're like, no, you think you just did something. I think You think you've achieved. I think he did achieve. I think he achieved the scam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that does... I think that's the like one of the big parallels between Don and Roger and this is that they both got so drunk they don't know what choices they did or mm-hmm. didn't make. And it ultimately um, doesn't matter because their drunk choices do not come home to roost. Yeah. They just sort of like are fine coasting and listening to whatever someone told them. Only Don is lucky enough to have uh, Peggy who has more integrity. <laughs> I also want to like throw out some kudos uh, to Dr. Faye Miller mm-hmm. for being great. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite their like interaction in the kitchen the last time. Uh, and he's like trying to rescue her from some guy talking to her, even though there was like no real indication that I noticed that she wasn't entirely enjoying herself. Uh, and he's like pulling those moves up. You smell good. Is that right? What do you say we get out of there and really celebrate? I think you're confusing a lot of things right now. And that's basically uh, Don. She's too smart for you, bro. God, I love it. It's really good. It's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't, like, my memory of the show is so terrible um, and so much is gone. And I just really hope um, I don't regret being so invested in Dr. Miller. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, but Peggy's relationship like at the beginning of this episode with Don is so nice. Like she gets to sit in on interviews to hire her like a counterpart. They're like joking. I mean, we already said that they make fun of um, the guy's like horrible book that he brings. Um, But I, so I kind of forget that we literally just got to witness um, Peggy having a a huge reaction, you know, about her hangups around this same relationship that I'm like, Oh, look how nice they are. Um, and then it just like continues through the episode to like degrade a little bit because we find out that Peggy did most of the work on this ad that they're getting recognized for. She's upset that Don's taking all the credit and she doesn't even get invited to go to the ceremony. Um, it's through Peggy's point of view that we find out how bad this bender actually was because it's, you know, kind of that moment where he doesn't remember the hotel room that I'm like, oh no, like you... Are just you have been gone since like when Friday afternoon at work, um, and we know that Peggy is still mad at him about several of these things. But like she shows up at his apartment and is like, "Are you good, bro? <laughs> like, what is happening here?" And then she also is like, "Make sure that you cover your mess with this." Like she's like still protecting him, even though I their relationship is very complicated, and I enjoy watching it. Is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, because I feel like, what do I want to say? The mentorship is really nice and that easy dynamic they have, but something just keeps getting in the way. Uh, I mean, that something is like patriarchy <laughs> where she doesn't get the same. Like if she were a man, it would definitely be more all boys club all the time. It's 100 percent like what Pete has always wanted this whole entire time and wishes that he had and is just figuring out his own path to whatever that is (laughs) and it can be so frustrating because 
I I get why she would both still be drawn to him. He's successful. He seems to be, you know, reaching out to her and does see her as a favorite. Stan's right about that. But at the same time, there's just always going to be this wall there because she's a woman. Um, and there's always going to be certain um, assumptions made. And it's hard to imagine her ever not being, you know, that not being like a sore spot of like, no, I deserve to be here. Not just because you think that I'm like Danny's little girl. Ew, sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. I said that. <laughs> Why did you bring me, Danny? I'm so sorry. No, don't. Eh. I hate myself. <laughs> um, Yeah. So then this, the rest of this episode is Peggy versus Stan. <laughs> And she wins. So what, Melissa, as as a first-time watcher, what did you <laughs> think of, of Stan Rizzo's introduction on this episode? Um, So I already knew, thanks to friend of the pod, Elise, I knew that he comes in to this episode like hot garbage. So I was prepared for him to suck. And he does. Um, But... I do, I like, I see in the notes that the question is, is if this feels like a natural progression of Peggy's character to me. And I think it does, but I think that's because of, a, mostly I think that's because of Elizabeth Moss's performance. Right. I think that she just does some astounding work mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, I like that. Um, this all happens after Don tells her that, um, you know, Dan, Dan, Stan is a t- talented and more experienced than she is. So she's the one who needs to learn to work with him. <laughs> I like that that doesn't equate for Peggy to submitting to him. It literally means to her figuring out how to get on a level with Stan so that he respects her, which is this like weird thing that happens in the hotel room, but it works for those two characters. And again, I think that's mostly because of Elizabeth Moss's performance because um, when she, so they've apparently had this running argument about how man's like naturals like state is nudity or whatever. Um, which I mean, he sucks. So who cares? Um, but she's like, yeah, let's get liberated. Like I can work naked and then he can't like, he can't focus. He can't get his shit together. Um, he finally like leaves the room and takes his clothes and he's like, yeah, you know, you win the prize for smuggest bitch in the world. And she makes the best face. Like, I'm sorry you, you're you mad that you lost at your own stupid game. <laughs> like, that's not my fault. But then she just says, like, oh, I'm hungry. Do you want anything? Like, she's so unbothered by this. I just love Peggy so much. But I don't necessarily think that, like, the writing is the best in this episode for it. I just think that these actors do very well in that hotel room scene to make me, like, not hate it because it's a horrible premise. Can I make you hate it a little bit more? <laughs> yes. So I'm of a couple different minds, or I guess two, like where I think like the actors and like the chemistry in their like rivalry or whatever, I think both Jay Ferguson Jr. and Elizabeth Moss play off each other in that scene quite well. And even like there's the 
the line about the don't kid yourself it's like an autonomic response about you know different blood flow to different regions and things like that um but what makes this extra hard for me to watch going through this is it, it feels very similar to what Cater Gordon described um, working late with Matthew Weiner and some of the comments that made her uncomfortable and, and, and crossed the line that he had had made to her. And it's not an exactly one to one, you know, comparison or situation, but it just it's similar enough that it kind of grossed me out despite. Yeah, that fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's not on the show at this time. Mm-hmm. Right? I think she hasn't been credited yet. Like, hasn't got her sole writing credit yet, but I think she's in the orbit because she started as, like, a writing assistant or something like that. So she's not a credited writer yet, but I think she's in the orbit of the show for sure. Oh, okay. Because I, I thought that she was only in on the show through the third season, which that's neither here nor there. This is fucking gross. I, I, I could mean, be Matthew Weiner is disgusting I could person. be getting my dates confused. Yeah. I didn't It doesn't really... Mm-hmm change things like i it's not surprising although it is fucking gross it's not surprising to me to find out that matthew weiner put more of his like weirdo gross bullshit into this show Mm -hmm. yeah i know you're right she's been fired off madman at this point she's not with the show anymore you're right i got so that's even fucking worse yeah oh that's worse (laughs) that's definitely worse and like part of my problem like Separate from that is the fact that this is still Stannis introduces such a cartoon and such like such a character like he's not a real human being, and that kind of makes um that makes Peggy's reactions a little less in a, a little less authentic because again yes it's pretty much just Elizabeth Moss being good at her job and the fact that they are able to work off each other so well less natural less um definitely less nuanced or organic but then to throw in the background information you're like wow matthew weiner is just really uh how do i want to put this detached from how people are supposed to behave and just has a weird idea about power dynamics and establishing dominance and how women are supposed to be it's you know this is what the hero is supposed to be supposed to take that kind of thing and this is how she's supposed to react completely unflinchingly unafraid of her body when you're like Mm -hmm. also kind of playing into Mm -hmm. this male gazy idea of what a cool girl is yeah and like that's to like pick off what pick up on what you were saying it felt very like um to to quote Congerlin and and I always forget Melissa is it Jillian Flynn or Gillian Flynn it's Jillian right it's Gillian it's Gillian okay I think so yeah I know it's written that way, but I know a Jillian who was written that way. Anyways, it feels very Gone Girl and like Nick wanted Cool Girl and blah, blah. Like it, yeah, it just, mm-hmm. I think the actors sell it, but it it doesn't feel as well written as whenever we have these other, these other great piggy moments when it's not two dudes writing the script. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And just in general, we get so much great. Mm-hmm nuance and layers uh with the other characters especially 
And I'm not saying that Peggy doesn't ever get those. It's part of why she's great. But it just seems like sometimes they try to go too hard on like the feminism and women are so strong thing that it just. Mm-hmm. At some point, they're not people, they're characters, which is grossly underserving both the actors and the characters themselves when we know that they can do better. Yeah. And like, I think it's really interesting, too. And like you think about kind of late 90s, early 2000s, like film and TV and like how women are are written and that whole kind of like you say that that whole like strong women trope and the, the way that that's only the only avenue a lot and like i've been listening to the my brother my captain my my podcast which is a lord of the rings um 20th anniversary like retrospective podcast and what the hosts on there talk about a lot um is how in adapting the like two and a half female characters that Lord of the Rings has kind of for that late nineties, early two thousands, like zeitgeist, they kind of remove a lot of aspects of femininity from them. So they're acting more, you know, stereotypically like masculine in the ways in which that has different downstream implications mm-hmm. and what's that saying. So if, if folks want to hear more about that and are interested in Lord of the Rings, I, I highly recommend that podcast. And like, I definitely think, Mad Men doesn't do this and gives us like different flavors of women characters. But I think those are largely from the episodes that aren't written by dudes. And I think sometimes the dude writers and especially Matthew Weiner as the showrunner still kind of fall in that trap. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And then, I mean, cause that's a problem that still continues on to, to today um, strong female characters as opposed to like strongly written female characters. I mean, how many women in uh, like the Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe get to be funny <laughs> or anything other than soft-spoken, hard-ass bitch? Like, guys. <laughs> guys. Come on. It is interesting, though, when you bring up Lord of the Rings because you had these, uh, you know, tough lady characters like Peggy and Arwen but at the same time they are played by uh by actors who are also who have just like this very soft very light almost doll-like kind of feminine voice like that's somehow gonna balance it out but yeah um no I generally agree with you it's it's many ways a good scene but also in many ways uh shitty premise yeah and then like, just that like don forgets that oh my god that's he forced so them together like that and just ugh, ugh. um yeah and like thinking about the real world the real world context of these scenarios like there were a lot of ways to do peggy versus stan that we could have also implicated don in shitty behavior that didn't have to be this you know, but like, it's just like, why wouldn't Matthew Weiner put this in his episode? Because yeah. what we've we've already talked about this on the episode is like, why men don't get in trouble for bad work? Yeah, yeah, it's um a weird twist on that old trope of two people <laughs> stuck in a hotel room. They are gonna get naked. Maybe they might kiss. Oh God! But then all this, and you're like, no, please, God, no! How did we get here? I know. 
it's forks proximity, but you've taken the fun out of it. Like, <laughs> how dare you take away one of my favorite tropes? So, this, I guess, to catch everyone up on Pete, we'll recall in season three that the premise was with Doc Phillips gone, um, Ken and Peter were basically auditioning for the head of the count's job, right? And if I'm recalling correctly, and admittedly it has been a minute, it looked like Ken was winning out, and then the agency heist happened, and Pete got taken and got to be a senior partner. Now, Lane, in his incredibly shrewd wisdom, has noticed that Roger isn't pulling his weight, and it and Ken, the sorry, Pete finds out from a client of Ken's at the Cleo's that Ken is coming to Sterling Cooper Draper Price, and Pete's feeling a little insecure. Yeah, I'm shocked. Dun dun dun. Um. What? Pete? Insecure? I was going to say, Pete's just had a long history of being jealous of Ken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't believe after the last time they interacted, it seemed like they'd, you know, come to a truce of some sort. Like, I can't believe that Pete is back on this bullshit, like playing these silly games. Like, I don't like I'm sure that Ken hasn't started caring who's it, like the quote-unquote boss between you if they're counterparts like he'd never cared about that before I don't know why he'd care about it now and I'm not just saying that because I love him (laughs) that was weird but it's it's probably if I have to give him like the benefit of the doubt it's just that well we can feel safe and not like we're real competitors Mm -hmm. for people's affection and validation since we're working at different agencies well and it's like (laughs) There is a lot of turmoil going on at old Sterling Cooper Draper Price right now between <laughs> both Roger and Don. And honestly, at some points in this episode, you can just see like Pete's little hamster wheel turning and his little <laughs> hamster going, really? Me? The voice of reason? <laughs> oh, Pete. Like, he keeps trying to get Don an off-ramp in this life serial meeting. And Don's just like, nah, fuck off, Pete. And it's like, no. Like, Pete's smart, really I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. So maybe he's just, I shouldn't be too hard on him. Oh, no. What's happened to me? Um, but maybe I know. I it sneaks up on you. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't I'm be so too sorry. hard on him because he's just trying to grasp some sense of like control in this insane work environment that they have cultivated for the time being. Like someone still has to remember that they have an agency to run and they can't just coast on accolades. And yes. And their margins are small. If they lose like one of their biggest customers, like it's over for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Pete. Voice of reason. <laughs> Pete and Ken back together. This is going to be great. Yeah. And and Don is Roger. <laughs> and Don is turning into Roger. So now there's two Rogers. And it turns out both of them, the thing that they're like both most proud of uh, might be based on completely nothing. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeesh. I did. I did enjoy Pete trying to assert dominance with Ken coming in and uh, with Lane supporting him, actually. And, you know, Pete trying to tell him, like, things have changed in a permanent way. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but Ken's not, has never 
been the one with the competitive streak Mm -hmm. against Pete. It's always been kind of one way. So he's just like, huh, okay, cool. He's just a chill guy with bad jokes. Bad jokes and stop making, he stopped making quite so many terrible comments. Mm -hmm. Growth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're going to drag Ken back down into their bullshit. (laughs) He's like, are you sure that's what you really want, Ken? You seem fine. I assume his marriage has already happened. Like, we're not going to get to go to Ken's wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Like, this is in succession. If they mention an event, then we get to go to it. (laughs) Uh, Curious. I do wonder, if it weren't for Lane, though, would Pete be able to have uh, faced this this moment as well as he did or not? Because I feel like Lane, my fave, is currently now offering Pete what he's been so desperate for all this time, which is just the validation, like the calm, warm, but not like overly too much validation uh, and approval, like fatherly approval that the Mm -hmm. others don't give him and that he's been so desperate for. And it kind of feels manipulative, but at the same time, it it seems genuine enough that it seems to be um, uplifting Pete a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. I really loved when Lane was like so level headed and like just Pete, I am quite fond of you. Like, let's get lunch. <laughs> He's like, Look, I know you've got uh issues, but I know you're smart enough to understand why I've made this this choice. Yeah, and while we're on Lane, he says the snarkiest thing to Harry and it is so funny about the Emmys um because Harry says like oh so-and-so like took my seat or whatever and Lane's like due to the nature of your stories I assume that's someone important yes I wrote that down too it's so good (laughs) it's really good it's really Uh, good to steal a segment from your other podcast Annie like we'll just put that in the burn section (laughs) I mean he does hail from the same land as Austin so, you know, the land of burns it and works. daring shade. Yeah. See, this is how Lane gets to you. Just like real low key. They don't give him too much where you start to hate him yet. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say you hate him, but we're still at this po- point where you're getting to know him and all you see is the, the simpler level headed stuff. And yeah. uh, this is how he wins me over. Also, he's Jared Harris. Yeah, I mean, what else? <laughs> He's got that voice. That baby Dumbledore voice. <laughs> he should have been Dumbledore. I'm sorry, Jude Law. <laughs> uh, that was uh, like... But yeah. And this was like back before it was like full like J.K. Rowling, like turf mask off. But like, you know how mm-hmm. they, they have that thing like... If you're like semi-active on Twitter, like Google your username and like under like the news tab, and you've probably been like quoted by some like listicle or article at least once without your knowledge. So I did that once, <laughs> and the only time like my Twitter's been like clipped in a news excerpt was about how Harry Potter fans were demanding Jared Harris be like cast as like <laughs> young Dumbledore, and it's like I'm not even that big of like I mean definitely I wasn't before. And, like, definitely not now, like, that big of, like, a Harry Potter fan. It was just funny because I was basically just doing it because I like Jared Harris and I want the dude to get work. And it's just funny some English news site clipped it. 
I've never <laughs> been quoted from my Twitter, so I'm pissed now. <laughs> More internet fame. All right, that's enough Googling myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, moral of the episode, Jared Harris. Yeah. Jared Harris, great. Don and Roger, bad. So bad. Pete on the so come bad. up. Uh, in a surprising way. He's he's shown growth. Peggy, she's uh, good, but has been better. Stan sucks. Yep. Yep. And Don sucks, too, because he forgot to pick up his kids and how fucking devastated do you think they would have been that well gene didn't give a shit we know that (laughs) has gene met his dad (laughs) i'm not sure (laughs) i didn't mean like in a figurative sense i mean like literally we don't know know. twilight sleep that's what it was called sorry i was thinking about when gene was born and i was like talking about that with someone over the weekend and we were talking about that scene and I couldn't remember what it was called when they like that he's like hallucinating and they used to give women in labor that anyways, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. That, when they yeah. when they just knock women out yeah. so that they don't have to deal with anything. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to remember the name yeah. of it yesterday when I was talking to someone and we were just talking about it now and I remembered. Sorry about that. Really, really great podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what little of Betty we get in this episode is just her being so rightfully pissed. I'm picking them up on Sunday. It is Sunday. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Uh, like, you don't fuck around with custody agreements. You just don't. Everything else is already difficult enough and complicated enough. Just don't fuck with the custody agreements. So, yeah. Batman. Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. Bits um, and bobs. Bits and bobs. Uh, as Matt had mentioned, Danny Strong is in this episode. Uh the Danny Strong, who every time he pops up, I just remember, I just think of that that nebbish character he was in, in Gilmore Girls and the sexual tension with Paris. And remember that this guy is like a low-key titan of Hollywood nowadays with his producing, his directing, his writing. One time I went to the Kennedy Center to watch a semi-stage version of Chess and he wrote, <laughs> he readapted the book. Oh my goodness. strong indeed danny (laughs) so strong like like in between these titans of broadway raul esparza remy and karim lu there's there's danny strong it's like whoa dude (laughs) dude such humble beginnings and we'll get to see more of him i think Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing i want to mention i'm like oh great we're gonna use uh racism as a prop again to um Mm -hmm to to we're gonna not just like as a prop but we're gonna show somewhat traumatizing imagery of the clan just to show how edgy and cool stan is great great that's all i'm gonna say about that it's like kind of even weirder because they make such a point in the episode to talk about how that ad that we see of stan's like never even aired anywhere Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's my best work. No one will ever see it. But you're like using it to impress girls in the office. Like it, the whole thing sucks. Everything about it's terrible. Yeah. I just wanted to call out as well. Kind of touched on it earlier. We see that 
Duck Phillips makes an appearance at the Cleos uh, briefly, and he seems to have relapsed further into his alcoholism. And I'm just wondering if this is there as a as a portent, as a future warning for Don, who literally had a lost weekend. So, not great. Don't don't like to see it for anyone, even though I don't like that. Yeah, not great. But it was was Um, tough to watch. I was surprised to find out that Joan and Roger were together before Don was even a madman. It must have been a long one. All right. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to call out for Bits and Bobs is that in the for advertisements that are in the store when Roger and Don meet to buy the stole for Joan... Betty's the model in the advertisements, and we'll recall that's how Betty and Don met, was when she was a model and doing the stuff for the fur company. So that's always fun. Yeah, that was a nice callback. (sighs) So I feel, yeah, I feel like we weren't as enthusiastic as this episode about this episode as others. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I think there's production reasons it's icky. I think there are character reasons it's icky. And, like, it's it's setting up the stage. We're in the middle of the season. We're, we're putting the pieces in place. So mm-hmm. it's an effective episode at doing that. Um, I just don't really dig all of it, right? So I mean, there were going to be some episodes like this. It's fine. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, but uh, probably for next time, it might be better. Question mark. Hopeful. Question mark. Fingers crossed. And until next time, you can catch us all together on Twitter at, at @stillgreatpod. You can email us at stillgreatbob at gmail dot com. Please remember to rate and view us on the podcasting system of your choice. And as always, thank you to DJ Empirical for our very groovy theme song. And until next time. Bye. I don't know why I can't come back. I can hear you. Can you I can hear, hear us? you. I just can't hear anything. No.
This week on Mad Men, Donnie. Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a <laughs> right. 